Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast to help you scale your Shopify store into a money-making machine. This podcast is brought to you by Yotpo, the leading e-commerce marketing platform. Engage more with your customers through loyalty, SMS marketing, reviews, and more. All Winning with Shopify listeners can receive 30 days of text messages from Yotpo SMS Bump for free. Sign up today to start driving 25 times ROI with the easiest channel you'll ever build. Your host is Nick Truman. He's a Shopify expert and the CEO of JustAskParker.com, a global specialist marketing company for Shopify owners. Nick will be sharing his knowledge and interviewing the experts to help you thrive and build a business that makes you money. For exclusive offers, bonus content, and weekly episode reminders, join our mailing list at WinningWithShopify.com. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Here's your host, Nick Truman. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Winning with Shopify podcast. For anyone who hasn't tuned in before, welcome to the show. It's an absolute pleasure to have you with us today. I hope you're staying well. I hope Peak's going well for you as well if you work in an e-commerce business. And I would assume by the title of every episode we've ever done and the podcast itself that you are. So I hope things are going well at the moment. Welcome to the show. Today is episode two of a series that we're doing, as you probably heard in the intro, in partnership with Yotpo. So Yotpo is a review platform. Highly recommend you check out some of their tech. We did an episode last week with Yotpo themselves, and we're also rolling out some more episodes today in the next couple of weeks, talking to some of their customers and talking about different elements of the Yotpo platform, all focused on how you can continue your peak sales into January, or more importantly, how you can stop a big slump and a big nosedive of revenue when we reach the January time. So without further ado, I'm delighted to introduce a very special guest we've got today. Her name's Dee, and she's from Arvec Drinks. So Dee, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Chat all things e-commerce. Excellent. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. And just before we dive in, we ask every guest on the show, tell us a bit about yourself and a bit about the business just before we dive in. Yeah. So my name is Dee Charlemagne, Demetrius for long, and I am one of the co-founders of Avec Drinks. And I met my co-founder, Alex, in business school, and he came over with this idea to really switch things up in the mixer space. Mixers have not really changed. They kind of suck. You either are offered like a club soda if you want something healthy-ish and you're like, can I have a club soda with a splash of this or a dash of that or bitters and soda if you're trying to have like a mocktail or you're trading for you know a cranberry juice or an orange juice or really sugary cocktail if you're trying to get more flavor. So what we do is we create mixers that are refreshing made with 80 to 90% less sugar and flavored with real juice and botanicals. So there's no natural flavors, no monk fruit, no stevia, nothing really fake in it. And we have really exciting flavors like jalapeno blood orange or hibiscus and pomegranate or yuzu and lime, rather than sticking with you know your basic tonic cran and maybe if you're fancy, a Red Bull. And we named the company Avec, which is a lot of you know what people ask, why'd you name the company Avec? It's a French word for with, and because that's how they're meant to be enjoyed with alcohol, with friends, with family, or, you know, on its own. So really thinking about how we can make the world of drinking better has been the mission of the company since day one. Amazing. Amazing. We're going to unpack some more of that story as we go through as well. And I, I love the fact you guys started out with a mission and especially saying like, look, this, this whole industry or the way the mocktails and stuff, where you're always substituting something and it doesn't have to be that way. And obviously, you know, we're going to dive straight into one of the big questions here. How do you avoid a slump in January is the theme of this this series. And obviously you guys, alcohol-free cocktails and alcohol-free mixers and drinks. Like, 
January must be a really good time of year for you. Yeah, I mean, I think we learned last year, to be honest. So like I said, we started really in this sort of adult occasion. So really thinking the way people drink, changing what you mix with your spirits and your alcohol, and really found ourselves, you know, launch, we launched during the pandemic in July 2020. So last January was actually our first year in business. And we knew that we were going to have like a really great Christmas. And we're like, okay, January, everyone else says it's slow. And then we had a really great January. So, so great that we had too much demand and ran out of stock, actually. But it was surprising, you know, not surprising to us. It was surprising to us and not surprising to us that we kind of fit in this occasion just because we know people, you know, people want to be adults and sort of, you know, what we say is like this more like conscious drinking or flexi drinking or mindful drinking, whatever you want to call it, approach to that occasion. You know, I can have alcohol sometimes. I cannot sometimes. In fact, most people who are doing dry January do drink or most people who are actually choosing non-alcoholic spirits also drink. So January is a really interesting month for us from like a product where our product sits in the market, but also from kind of like thought leadership and the mission of the company as well. Nice, nice. And we'll come back to the running out of stock in a minute, because I think that's an interesting story that, that I'm really keen to unfold. But just coming back to the, the ethos and mission, you've just outlined so many different elements to that, which I think is fantastic. I think there are far too many businesses that we work with, that we talk to, that I know are listening to the show right now that don't have such a strong kind of mission and ethos. It's just, let's shift some more stock, let's make some money, let's crack on, which isn't, a, it's not bad or unhealthy, but I, I find it so much more exciting when businesses have that. How important would you say that is to you guys in terms of everything from the morale of getting up in the morning to actually looking at the numbers for the business? Yeah, I mean, I'll speak for myself because Alex really came over, you know, from the UK with this vision of like, you know, the adult drinking occasion. Mm. He was a food and beverage consultant. And so he kind of saw like everything changing, right? He talks about this day where he spent time with a, you know, a person in college, kind of saw all the changes that were happening in their lives, you know, like instead of Mars bars, there was Kind Bar, there was like Sweet Green, there was Oat Milk, there were all these changes in health and wellness. And then when they got to the bar at the end of the day, it was the same kind of experience, right? So that we really started this journey of like, okay, how do we make drinking, I say healthy-ish. And it was at a time pre like the hard seltzer blow up, I would say like, we were kind of developing the product before people really believed that people cared about health when it came to the drinking occasion. Like we were trying to recruit bartenders to help us out. And they were like, you guys don't understand like drinking is a vice. No one's really conscious about sugar and ingredients. You know, it's just kind of like a, a pleasurable experience. And my why for joining, you know, the idea and kind of committing to it after business school was, you know, I spent nearly a decade in advertising and got to work with amazing clients. One of my favorites being Starbucks. And they talk about, you know, publicly, they talk about it being the third place, but they do talk about it internally as this place of like connection and genuine connection. And like, just think about how much that drink, you know, that it's a coffee, but how much that changed the American culture and the way people interact. So for us, it was also, you know, and then personally for me, you know, I grew up in the Bronx in New York, uh, got to go to Harvard and Columbia and was like, the things that band these two people together is drinking, right? So you, you bring, <laughs> yeah. bring two friends from different roles to a bar. They have a really interesting conversation. It's fun. You imagine all these things. And at a, the time, there was a lot of like drinking is evil, right? And there, we really believe that like, you know, human connection is kind of the most important things and drinking actually can strengthen that. So controversially, we say we like, we believe we should be spending more time drinking together, not less. But that's really, you know, about improving the quality of what we're drinking when we're drinking, but really thinking about that bond. And, you know, that's what gets me excited. It's like, I love the product, but 
I love the brand that sits around it and the kind of the moments that it can really create. I think it's I think it's certainly an important point you've touched on there actually is the we use the phrase a lot in our business features tell benefits sell and I think you've just hit the nail on the head really really well there and saying actually the yeah the, the I mean you can get coffee anywhere but the benefit of drinking a coffee in a Starbucks is because you're probably with somebody it's the experience and even I don't know if they do this in the US I hope they do but in the UK if you go to Starbucks they ask for your name and then they shout your name out the side of the cup oh yeah so there's yeah. this whole trend in the UK it's been going on for probably five or ten years where we put funny names on the side so we always give them a false name just to see them read it out I learned that behavior in the UK <laughs> yeah. we have a very strange and I lived in the UK for a little while and I was like oh yeah but now people here do that too sometimes if you can get them to read out something funny that looks like two normal names until you pronounce it you occasionally get the odd laugh from somebody who picks up on it as well it's a it's a very strange sarcastic british humor but i think again again going back to the features tell benefits sell you're you're focused on the benefits there it's not necessarily you know it's not just about the fact you're having a coffee it's about bringing people together it's the same with the drinks as well it's not you know the fact that the feature that it hasn't got alcohol and it's got these ingredients is great but the benefit then is you don't fit, you don't wake up with a hangover. You can do dry January without you know without missing out on nice things to drink. Yeah, I mean, we really think about you know our customer as this person who like has no reason to compromise. Like they want to live life mm. to the fullest, right? You know, they're modern. They care about values. They care about quality, health, and flavor. But they also want to have fun, right? So I think that we just sit. We've always been in that we've shared mindset with the people that we you know, that are drinking a Beck. Yeah, definitely. And, it, and we're in such a movement at the moment of going healthy anyway. I think one of the biggest things I've noticed as well is you talk about oat milk and stuff. In the UK, if you go to any supermarket now, there's about 10 different types of milk. Um, I went in a cafe earlier and ordered ordered a flat white coffee. And the guy said, well, what sort of milk do you want? And I sort of thought like, oh, I'll go for oats today. You know, just, just choose one. It's like they're having that choice and that selection but also then knowing that oat milk has hardly any fat in it and you can get unsweetened so it hasn't got the sugar and yeah, it all just it all just kind of makes a lot of sense, which is good. Let's rewind the clock then. Let's go back to when, so you guys launched during COVID, during sort of lockdowns. How did you guys get started? Like what was the first thing you did to start making some sales? So we, you know, we had always planned to be like, a little bit more in real life, a little bit more experiential. Think the way kind of Red Bull came to market, you know, smaller festivals, groups that were throwing parties, not necessarily like the big, big Coachellas of the world, but really kind of owning, you know, that group of people who really did want to live like this no compromise kind of lifestyle and where health and kind of flavor and everything kind of came together. That was in March when we kind of had that plan. We didn't have any real formula like ma- we had formulas, but we didn't have like cans made. We graduated from business school in May 2020 and we're making cans the next day and basically realized, you know, over the course of March through May, when we kind of were like, okay, we have, you know, production lined up, what were we going to do? The only place that we could really sell drinks was the internet. So um, what we tried to do with EvecDrinks.com is create, you know, a little bit of a different kind of world, a different kind of portal. It doesn't feel like you're just landing on a regular site. It feels like there's something interesting and cool happening. So we launched, you know, purely online, which is unusual for drinks. Like traditionally you would be doing it in real life. And I guess you'd be selling in real, normally in real life, et cetera, you'd be selling over the bar, wouldn't you? In a physical place, but not an option when all the bars are closed. Yeah. I mean, we tried, yeah, we tried in our first, you know, once we had the cans, we tried to like get out in the streets of New York with coolers, you know, our friends are starting their fancy consulting jobs and banking jobs and we're running around New York with these <laughs> little coolers to bars that are actually, you know, like quite 
sad, you know, like you don't really want to sell in that environment. That's not, it was not a place of joy mm. at the time, I would say. We did launch, you know, we did a, this uh, cool six feet apart bar when we first launched. We built a table that literally kept people six feet nice. apart and did like a kind of smaller launch with friends at a bar. But yeah, we really had to start online because that's where we were going to be able to tell the story. And it was kind of where we needed to start. And we had a really good first year doing that. Nice, nice. And what sort of channels did you use to actually drive traffic into the site? Like, you know, did you go down the traditional route of sort of Facebook ads and Google shopping? Or did you guys do something completely, completely different? Yeah, I come from the world of media. So I've worked in advertising. So I've worked for, you know, big agencies, but I've also worked for Vice, the media company. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, my most permanent job before business school was trying to launch a a media company and agency. So I kind of saw the perils of Facebook happen, right? Like the media company didn't happen because it was at the time that like all the valuations of these big emerging media companies, BuzzFeed, Vice, et cetera, were kind of being blown up by the Facebook algorithm. So I never wanted our business to be focused on just Facebook advertising. So we really made a choice at the beginning to focus on PR and storytelling. And I would say, you know, the first seven months, we didn't spend any money on Facebook advertising. It was purely... PR led. Nice, nice. And the beauty of that as well is you're doing brand awareness and the better the brand awareness, the more people start to talk. So you get a lot more reach from that than obviously, you know, Google advertising, Facebook advertising, your paper click, say every single time somebody clicks on the site. Yeah. We also just didn't have the cash, right? Like we didn't launch with $2 million in the bank. We had a small friends and family round. So we had to be conservative with the cash that we were spending. So could say it was like, you know, a genius strategy, but could it was just a necessity at the time to preserve the capital we have and not burn it all on Facebook or Google advertising. And then another big thing that happened was partnerships, right? Like as a mixer, we are a great partner for spirits brands, whether that's with alcohol, foolproof spirits brand or zero proof spirits brand. So we, at the very early stages, were partnering with the likes of like Seedlip, which is non-alk, House, which is low alk, and then like Uncle Nearest Whiskey, which is a full alk and fitting in just fine with all of those partners and recipes and you know people were experimenting at home you know people were figuring it out as they went yeah i mean it's certainly i know more than enough people as i'm sure everybody listening does as well who as soon as lockdown started it was like right my house is now being turned into a, a gym a bar a restaurant like the whole the <laughs> whole lot you know like just yeah. convert it to as much well, as close as possible to normal life it sounds like you guys are starting in a really good way actually and did, did that or do you think that's also helped with repeat orders? So getting that lifetime value from a customer? I do kind of. I mean, I think it was also a time where supply chain was tricky, right? Yep. So we were really just seeing, you know, will people buy? Like, it was super new. It's like, will people like this product? Will people buy this product? Like, what kinds of people? It was really like, who organically comes to us? And then building off of that in our first year. So now I would say we're heavily focused on, like, retention and repeat and also kind of focusing on wholesale as behaviors change. But I think that first year was just like organically what happens when we put this product out in the world. Because it's not as easy as being like, it's another hard seltzer or it's a new tequila or it's a new functional beverage. It was something, you know, really different. Yes, I guess, I guess it's that educational piece as well. Somebody's not already looking for, well, I mean, there might be some demand for it on, on Google already and, and that sort of thing. But yeah, it's, it's not a widely known product. You know, if people talk about mixers and cocktails, um, people are expecting to buy, you know, something in a in a bottle or a can that is going to be alcoholic, etc. So I think having something that is low calorie and, and alcohol free, I think is amazing. So let, let's let's slowly come towards January where you ran out of stock then. We'll come to that in a moment. So you got going, you got your first few sales in and that sort of thing. What did the traditional time, so pre-January of peak look like? So sort of across 
you know, October through December, did you guys see an uplift like most people, you know, was it picking up through Christmas or people buying this as a gift? Like what did you see happen this time last year? Yeah, we saw we saw a big uptick. We had a really strong partnership at the time with Showfields, which is a store in New York who also moved some of their business online. And they had kind of like a Black-owned curation in collaboration with Amex and Coco and Breezy, two influencers. So that was our first kind of like omni-channel, you know, like the payments with the with the e-com, with a store presence that really helped. And then also we got, you know, a bunch of press around that same time and we're doing heavy like promotion with like recipes and things for the holidays. So it's, it's a, you know, it's a really easy hosting gift. Also, it's a very inclusive party that Avec is at because everyone can participate, right? Mm. There's no like non-out section or out section or low out section. It's like everyone's an adult and can kind of make their own choice. Yeah, yeah. So we saw a lot of, you know, a lot of usefulness in that holiday period. I love that even explaining some of these like business questions, just <laughs> using phrases like everyone's at the same party. It's like, it's like you are living and breathing the brand, which a lot of people get very caught up, I think, in the world of Google Analytics and data and whatever. But yeah, it's great to hear you're still pushing on that front. But yeah, coming back to Peak, so did that, did that then cause, which I now, I now do want to find out about that I've been you know, eagerly awaiting since I saw it on an email earlier today, got to January and ran out of stock. So first, let's talk about how did you run out of stock? And obviously, people bought the products. Was that because of peak? Was that because of supply chain problems? Like, How did that all come about initially? Yeah, I mean, like I said, it was our first year of business. So it was dry January, plus we had a great write-up in food and wine, uh, headline being the best new cocktail mixer replaces the sugary syrups Mm -hmm. of the past, right? Like, you couldn't even dream of that headline a year. (laughs) We were like, oh, my God. So yeah, I mean, it was really just, I think, a forecasting thing, right? Like your first year of business. You don't want to sit on a bunch of inventory, especially because at the time we were being made in Brooklyn, right? So we were being made in Brooklyn and storing pallets in Brooklyn is as expensive as you might think, yeah, right? Yeah, so exactly. we were not, we were just not, you know, we didn't know the demand that like you get some press hits and nothing happens. You get some press hits and tons happen. And then plus dry January, we were just a natural fit for another occasion. So we had kind of anticipated this December peak with hosting, but not as much January. So we get to January and you've run out of stock. Now, one of the things the guys at Yopo mentioned when we were setting this up, as in setting up this podcast recording, is that you guys managed to keep your customers engaged. And beyond that, I know nothing. So I'm quite, I'm quite, quite eager to hear how did you go about that? Like, how, how do you keep customers engaged? You want to buy something but can't? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, like, it's like, oh, it seems cool that you handled it. But it was like, at the time, it really felt like kind of a disaster, right? Like, it's, hard to re-engage people. We're losing revenue, right? So like we're not making any money, but you know, just losing that customer is like a huge, a huge issue. So what we mm. did was just try and, you know, be honest about why we were out of stock. Like we were like, Hey, you know, we're a small team of three at the time. We we're a team of two, I think even at the time, like we we're just like, you know, admitting our mistake. It was also like, while we were producing, it was blizzard season, you know, in New York and we were driving a 95 Chevy van to deliver things. Like it was just like, being genuine about like, here's who we are. We know our site may look super cool, but like, it's just two to three of us behind here. Yeah. And then really, you know, we tried to figure out like the more technical things we could do. So we did keep pre-orders on, but didn't push them too much until we knew like we had a solid date of when things would mm-hmm. be back in stock and added an option. Like if people didn't want to pre-order, obviously to get charge their card for a product there, we're not getting immediately. We had an email, we got our developers to add like an email option. So you know, if you want to know when jalapeno blood orange is back in stock, enter 
your emails here. And so we also began to focus more on like engaging with like recipe content through emails and like figuring out reviews and like kind of using the time also as like a reset because it was, you know, fast and furious. It's like, how do we better tell our stories? How do we revamp, think about revamping emails? We use the time to build out our email flows. I think that's around the time too, we did join the Yapo Grow program. So like everything was kind of like, let's get our like D to C hygiene. Cause I would say we launched and we didn't have, we had no email flow set up. We had reviews. We knew we needed reviews, but we didn't have anything, you know, fully set up quite yet. So it was a good time to kind of like spring clean. Yeah. Which I guess is, I mean, it's, it's all for the wrong reasons. Like running out of stock is a good and bad thing. It's good because you sold all the products. It's bad because you now can't sell anymore. And as you say, I think all that hard work going into getting customers so much pain if you then lose them you know if they disengage at that point but equally and this really is the silver lining on a very dark rain cloud but you had that chance to do a bit of a reset you know there's there's a famous saying we have in in british football which is running a football team is like trying to repair an aircraft that's already in the air and i'd I'd say running a business is exactly the same in that you know within that metaphor so I guess you, you had this unique opportunity where you were kind of grounded and you could actually start looking at things and seeing how they work. But I guess there was also there must have been that fear financially of every penny we're spending right now is coming out of cash. It's not coming out of income and revenue because everything's dropped so much because we haven't got the stock. And we were also fundraising at the time, right? Okay. <laughs> Please invest in us, but we can't sell any products. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, a lot a lot of things. And I think people, like even the biggest brands and like well-funded startups were having you know, like we were out of stock due to popularity, but they're also supply chain, right? And we're using real juice, right? Like our blood orange juice comes from Italy. Like, you know, yuzu juice is transported, like we're transporting juice. We're not just adding concentrate or powders or like a dash of flavor and some water to the can. So we had some serious, you know, delays with things being imported and things like that. So it was like all of these things just added up and we're in cans and there's a massive aluminum shortage, which I'm sure maybe some other beer beverage founders have talked about, but it was just the reality of the time. And I think just, again, just being honest and trying not to be too perfect or not saying anything at all. Cause you know, on the other side, I was also a customer of, you know, smaller businesses and getting no communication is almost worse. Cause you're like, do you care? Like, you know, like, I'm trying to buy less on Amazon, trying to buy less with big business, but I just need you to communicate like what's happening. Yeah, 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 definitely. So, I mean, it sounds like an absolute mad time. How did you get back on top of stuff then? So like, how did you get, was it just a case of just praying and waiting for for stock to arrive at the front door? Or how did you guys work your way out of it and back into just a a not, what I'd call a more normal run rate? You know, you've got stock, you're making stock, you're selling stock. Yeah, I would just say we're just recovering from it, right? Like we started also like a little bit of Facebook paid after January and had to turn that off. So like, you know, slowing down the algorithm and getting that audience back and not having, you know, clear data. And then we launched, we were getting back, you know, this fall at a time where iOS updates were happening. So I think it's taken it's taken a little longer to even honestly get back to where we were. Completely understand. I think I think sometimes people can realize how long, I think you only realize when you go through it, how long it can take to recover from things. We've even had clients where like their sites turned off for a week when they've launched the new one and nobody told the client, let alone telling us. And by the time it's come back on, you get the traffic, you know, turn the Google campaigns, Facebook, everything gets turned straight back on, emails start going out again. 
but there's this like week or two where it's like your site disappeared. Like, I don't know if I can trust you anymore. Or it takes time to start nurturing that journey again, saying, hey, buy this product. And then people start looking at it and thinking about it and deciding if they want it. And it's, even once you get the stock, it's probably not a case of just turning, you know, clicking the button and everybody buys stuff. Actually creating that long-term recurring purchase and also that nurture journey needs to essentially start again. Yeah. And we're a beverage business, right? So we're not selling high margin products. So, you know, having a CAC that's healthy has always been important for us. And so we're kind of, you know, looking at Facebook spend as a, a channel, but not the channel sure. because it is expensive. Sure. And you mentioned email, certainly when we were talking about January, you mentioned email already. How do you communicate with existing customers? Like what are some of the channels you guys use? Is it is it social? I imagine Instagram probably plays a part in that. But is there anything you think you guys might be doing differently that other people listening might not have thought about or might not have considered previously? Or is it pretty pretty standard channels, just quite a unique and strong message? Yeah, I think it's, you know, our channel mix. Like we, I think what was unique is that we didn't spend on Facebook immediately. I think what's also unique about us is that we just have different propositions depending on the audience, right? Like we are both equally, you know, in the non-alc space as we are in the alc space. We have this story of, you know, with and without alcohol. We also have a story around flavor. We also have a story around ease. We also, you know, then in February, we're like, oh, we'll have kind of a down month. And then we also had, you know, Black History Month and diverse founders come up. Then March, you know, so I think it's, we have a lot of different messages that speak to the values of today. So I think we're still trying to figure out exactly how to tell that story that's quick, but also educate someone on what, you know, the drink is and how to use it. A lot of our email, we just three months ago started launching a newsletter and that was based on a mix of things. So like we started a blog with recipes because that's what people would ask us on Instagram. So now I feel like we're using Instagram kind of as a a content generator for the newsletter and thinking more about email, you know, driving a lot of the revenue. And then we've also just rolled out SMS over Thanksgiving. But we, Mm -hmm. you know, as you said, we always are thinking about our customers as like people that we're drinking with, right? So we don't want to spam them with four different emails a week and seven different SMS. We're very thoughtful about how many we send out, like no more than one a week. And like, we've always been advised, like increase that, increase that. And getting to one a week was already like, I was like, oh man, is that too much? Because we were doing it twice a month. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think sometimes you've got to almost just test the water with that frequency, haven't you? You've you've got to sometimes just go, you know, let's, let's run four emails in a month and see how many unsubscribes we get, how many sales we get, how many clicks we get what happens to the open rates and then decide to kind of pull it back, push it forwards. I mean, I, I'm not an expert in email by any capacity, but I know from working with a lot of email agencies and what, one agency in particular, I can't remember their name now, but they call themselves a customer um, engagement agency. So it's all about sort of social, email, SMS, etc. And one of the things that those guys used to talk about quite a lot, certainly with email was, well, why don't you segment them in certain groups and say, okay, our more engaged customers will email weekly. Our less engaged customers will e- e- email monthly. And occasionally we'll send a mid-month email and anyone that opens it, we might bump them into like a new second list. But it's all about the data. You've got to have a look at the data and see what customers are doing to then decide that frequency. Because the the problem with customers, and this is the problem, I think, with the internet that can never be resolved, is humans are a pain. Uh, Because we do things irrationally, we make decisions on the fly, and we don't do things logically by any capacity. And then you get your e-commerce manager who comes in and tries to make sense of the data. And it's, yeah. There's obviously a lot of sense in there and we all live and breathe it, but there's always going to be that element of actually, if you just put a good offer in front of them, they will engage. Yeah. I mean, I I also think as a small team, you know, we're not paying a ton of agencies or a Mm. ton of help. So you also have to kind of like be okay with what you're not doing too. 
and place bets on the things that you are doing and know that, you know, there's more, there's more to do, but like kind of take it one step at a time. Like I felt like there was like a two month period where I was like, Oh my God, I need to be doing all of these things at once. Like, how am I ever going to do it? And I just think like taking it one, one message, one flow, one person, one customer at a time. And also getting, you know, I know you said not talking about metrics, but I think also one of the best piece of advice I got from a founder was just like, just focus on one or two metrics. Like don't get lost in like all the investor spreadsheet or the things that people were looking at. So like each person on our team has one or two metrics max that they're looking at. And if you look at it, it will grow. Yeah. Right? It's kind yeah, of the yeah. hypothesis. Yeah. I think, I think it's a very wise way of looking at things. I think sometimes, sometimes I certainly notice people either go too big scale and go, right, what have we spent? What have we made? End of conversation. And other people then go get obsessed about completely the wrong thing. So we've had some clients look at like, you know, we want to increase our conversion rate from 1.5% to 1.7. And I turn around and say, what if you halved it, but quadrupled the average order value? We're making more money now. (laughs) So you've got to work out, yeah, you've got to work out which metrics are right. And as you say, it all comes back to customer and you've got to work out, okay, which, what, what should our customers be spending? How many, you know, how many products should they be buying? And actually, do we want to focus a bit more on one particular group rather than trying to please everybody or do everything or... Yeah, as you say, trying to hit every single multi-channel at the same time. There's always a danger of being spread too thin and then you do everything badly rather than just focusing on one or two things and doing them really well. So yeah, I completely second that. Going into January this year then, obviously we're recording this early December and coming towards the middle of December. Coming into January this year, what lessons have you learned? What are you guys going to be doing? There's some obvious things in that, I know. <laughs> but what are you guys going to be doing differently coming into, uh, coming into January and, and possibly dry January for a lot of people? Yeah, I mean, for me, for us, we're really looking at kind of like just revamping messaging, right? So like I said, really getting our story tight and Mm -hmm. clear, taking the feedback also from our first year and not being afraid to take things a little bit slowly, not doing so much content at, you know, like we were shooting like every other week content, like banking content and moving on, like having more of a plan as we go into dry January of like, here's what's going to happen on this day. And really thinking about, I think, you know, because we did that hygiene moment, like, thinking about how all these things flow into each other, right? Like spending a little less on Facebook and how that impacts email and how that will impact SMS, like really thinking about how all these channels like really fit together. And then another big thing for us next year is that, you know, we anticipate that our business will start becoming more present in wholesale channels, right? So liquor stores, grocery stores, Mm -hmm. bars and restaurants as things open up. So how do we think about a strategy there to make sure that online is doing messaging that people are looking for offline, right? So that's kind of the strategy that we're looking at at the moment. And then really, again, trying to leverage PR, like what are kind of the new interesting things that we're bringing to our community? And especially as, you know, people talk, you know, more and more people are getting into this non-alcoholic space. Like maybe for us, it's commonplace, but I think like there's a stat that like 60 plus percent of America have no idea that this is even an option. So Mm. Um, really trying to be, you know, a bit more educational too, as we go. Nice, nice. I, I certainly think wholesale is an interesting route. And I almost feel like you guys have done it the other way around to most businesses that I talk to. And bear in mind, we all live in our own little micro universe. So it might not be the, the global trend, but certainly getting into wholesale, it's interesting to hear that you're doing that after launching your own online brand. I know of quite a lot of companies that have 
developed some cool products, sold them through wholesale to other retailers or to physical stores or in your case, stores and bars, you almost have this kind of extra, uh, you know, extra bow or extra string you can put on the bow there, which is quite interesting. It's interesting coming at wholesale sort of afterwards. You know, we get a lot of brands that want to go direct to consumer that that approach us and sort of say, right, we, you know, we're going to hire an e-commerce manager. We want some agencies We want to bring all this together and start doing something. Um, So how, how are you guys going about starting that? Is that just you know, sort of cold approach of just reaching out to some, you know, different supermarkets, wholesale opportunities and bars, or do you guys have a strategy for it a bit more in depth than that? Like how, how does a brand start that? Yeah, I think because we were self-distributing actually for our first year, we have a lot of lessons on how to sell the product. So cool. we just signed on with three distributors in New York, um, the New England area and Chicago. Mm. And we also have the data, right? Like we saw Chicago, we were like, why does Chicago make sense? And you look at the data of who's buying online and you're like, yeah, actually makes a ton of sense. So I think, you know, we are trying a new, we've never actually really been sold in liquor stores because in New York, there's this weird law where you can't sell like gin and tonic in the same store or rum and coke in the same store. It's illegal. Really? So, yeah. It's a I've old, never heard. That is very bizarre. I've never heard that. <laughs> I don't know why, but it's an old law and it still exists. So I think just finding different ways <laughs> okay. to merchandise. And we've heard from our customers, right? Like hmm. you talk about retention. A lot of it is like, I'm having a party today. I don't want to wait for the shipping, right? Like I want it in real life. And then, you know, yep. if I'm being more intentional about it and I know I'm having a party for Christmas, then I can order in advance. So I think that's how we're thinking about wholesale and then using D2C more as like a storytelling platform and also a gifting or a more planned kind of hosting occasion platform. We just launched a holiday box. We call the everything but box. So it has everything but the spirit and it has, you know, a recipe card you know, the jigger, the garnishes, everything you kind of need to make eight cocktails. Mm -hmm. And we see that doing really well. And that's only been in for two weeks, but that was firing on all channels, right? Like we had Instagram, we had Facebook and we have SMS and we have email all kind of going and some press pickup as well. So very excited about, you know, that potential. I find it really interesting actually that you guys have taken a more geographic approach. So rather than just going, let's target the whole country or as many places as possible and just chuck it on a shelf and hope somebody buys it again chicago is an example you focus on a specific area because there must be so many opportunities as well to get the customers who are seeing it in you know in, in a bar and you know a restaurant trying the drink and going okay it's quite nice and googling it and then finding you guys and seeing that okay actually they are quite local or again that local area because then if you're advertising online in the local area you start to you start to win on both sides really which comes back to the whole philosophy of multi-channel yeah and and i think more bars and restaurants are seeing demand for you know what whatever you want to call it like a driver's menu a free spirit menu an adult choice menu mm. like we fit there right like you kind of give people an option of what they want to drink in that moment so i think it's a really exciting time to think about the whole you know rethinking the category in the first place yeah yeah definitely definitely and how much are you guys probably going to push the local elements of that like do you think some of the bars are going to say um you know okay these guys selling this drink they're actually quite local too here or are you going for more of just a it's just a nice drink it just so happens to be local and you might hear about it again if you go on the internet no i mean i think being you know brooklyn born made in the usa is huge right like we are Mm. a lot of the mixer category has been built you know in the uk with the lights of like fever tree and you know in america we have q but i think people are really excited that you know we are humans behind a brand right like we never try and be this big behemoth we're just people behind a brand who are excited about (laughs) drinking better together (laughs) like you know it's like quite Mm. simple so yeah i mean i think i think that's an exciting part about it as well and i think our you know the distributors that we chose like really kind of get the story of avec and 
how to talk about it. And like chefs really understand it as well because we're using real ingredients and sommeliers. We've actually seen a lot of uptick in natural wine bars because people kind of get, you know, how to talk about ingredients, how to think about it in those contexts. The, the reason I ask is I've suddenly remembered, my wife will be delighted that I forgot about this. There's a brewery that make my favorite beer about two miles from my office where I go every day to work. <laughs> so I, I regularly stop at, we used to stop at the brewery and I'd forgotten about it, um, to be honest. But point being that actually there's certainly in the UK, every pub, I would say in the entire UK, probably not every single one, but I reckon 85, 90% will sell at least one, if not three or four local drinks. And so yep. certainly like where we are in Surrey, which is just outside of London. I've been there. Well, welcome. Surrey is absolutely lovely. I probably never shouted out Surrey on the podcast, to be honest. But yeah, we, we call it the Shire where we are because it's lovely countryside and so close to central London. But all the pubs here, they all sell local beers. So where we are, um, I went to a pub the other night and they had three breweries selling different beers at the bar, which were all within about a five minute drive of each other. And probably only about 10 minute drive from the pub that I was in, which obviously if you drink, shouldn't drive. But just as a locality point, yeah. the pubs are really, really close. And I think it's quite nice having that, especially if you're then sitting in Chicago or Brooklyn and you order a drink that is from the local area. It just adds so much more to the authenticity, especially for tourism, people dropping in and also the locals to feel like, you know, this is a local drink. We're proud of this. In the same way, uh, Guinness, for example, if anyone ever goes to Dublin, to the Guinness storehouse, Guinness is like an Irish national treasure, almost as much, well, probably as much, if not more than Jameson Whiskey and a whole range of other brands of alcohol as well. So yeah, I think it, it certainly is interesting having that locality point. And I think, again, from digital marketing, if you're then to advertise a market to that area, I imagine there's probably an expected increase in conversion rate on the basis that people will probably have heard of the drink or at least seen it in in various different you know stores or, or pubs and bars. Yeah. I mean, I think for us, I mean, we want to be national. We want to be global. But I think starting locally again, hmm. having that approach where you're kind of like winning in a market and being thoughtful is something that we also heard early from beverage founders, you know, just don't go opportunistically everywhere and then not really being able to service all those areas, right? Like you have a little bit everywhere, but you're not really building a brand in an exact spot. So I think we're just, you know, being thoughtful about the approach. We're not necessarily local all the time, but I think just being thoughtful about where we launch and doing it, you know, more like, okay, people here will get us, then we'll move. And then people here will get us, then we'll move yeah. until it becomes a national scale thing. But we ship nationally. So we do have customers everywhere. We have a cool store in Alaska that carries us randomly, which is fun. Oh, wow. That is, <laughs> I mean, again, Alaska is just a lovely end of the US where um, everybody knows where it is. And yeah, again, putting, certainly putting locality and stuff, I think, you know, it's part of marketing. It brings things to life, which is cool. Okay, so coming into land then, there's two other things I wanted to touch on very quickly. One of them we've mentioned already is SMS. So I know you said, you said to us earlier that you're still sort of very new and early days on SMS. We've had quite a few guests on the podcast talking about SMS marketing over the last couple of months and obviously how phenomenal it is in terms of getting into somebody's pocket or with smartwatches, getting on their wrist nice and quickly, how quickly people open SMS, how SMS is a untapped opportunity for most people because most consumers will only have one or two texts sent to them a month at the moment, but it's so direct. How have you guys approached it? Obviously, going back to what you were saying earlier about not wanting to be too in your face, too salesy, too spammy with the communication. How are you guys going into SMS at the moment? Like, What's, what's the approach? Yeah, I mean, I think a part of it was doing the Yapo Grow program, right? So figuring out, we launched it really Black Friday week or around, you know, within this month. So 
just learning like the tactics of how to collect it thoughtfully. I would say before we're using text as more of like a replenishment tool. So like, are you out of stock replenish today sort of messaging? But what we found is, you know, for sales, people definitely want to know that, right? Like what is your, we could sort of align with like, what would I want in my text message inbox that wouldn't mm. annoy me, right? Like <laughs> I would actually want to know if I'm a repeat customer and an engaged customer that you're having a sale or I'd be annoyed if you didn't text me that, right? Like as a friend, if you're doing something cool and you don't text me, I'm going to be like, hello, I thought we were friends. And then secondly, like any sort of like new drops or new new things, we do do that as well. I think we're trying to figure out the balance of like recipes and making sure they're relevant, especially because we have such a diverse community of drinkers. We have people that drink, people that don't, people that like certain flavors, people that don't, people that drink certain spirits and not others. So mm. I think getting smarter about segmentation will probably be actually key to SMS. It reminds me of the early days of email, right? Before people really had distinct segments. So I think we're learning, you know, a good part about being in a, in a wider like Yapo group is like learning from other founders, what's working for them with SMS and what's not. But I would say right now we're going with more like, what are the smart ways to make sure customers have an opportunity to opt into text if they want it. We've seen great conversion from even the small, you know, the small number of people we have on text. We see really, really, really good conversion. So just making sure people have that opportunity and then really using our kind of like, if this was a friend texting me gut, like how often is too often? Like it's, you know, you're like, you're not my best friend. You're like a friend that I party with sometimes. So, <laughs> Well, especially it's a, it's a one-way conversation as well, isn't it? So it's, yeah. I guess the other part, yeah. how long would a one-way conversation go on for? You know, how many times would you text this person before you give up on them? Yeah, so I guess getting that frequency rights. Yeah, I mean, there are some fun things to do with text, right? Like text one, if you prefer a recipe with cinnamon or two, if you prefer a recipe with apple for the holidays, right? Like nice. I think there are fun things you can do with text, but it's just a balance of how much to do it and like really not being too salesy. Like also having, we think about a lot of our like tone and messaging as well. So it's not always so salesy. Cool. No, it sounds good. Sounds good. And I'd appreciate that. I think you guys are approaching it in a very sensible way. Everyone we've spoken to about SMS has said similar things of just don't, don't dive in, don't start chucking messages out to everybody, make sure you've got consent, all that kind of stuff, you know, make sure it, it, I think your example of like, if you were texting a friend that you go out partying with, absolutely perfect. So also the time of day to text that person as well, probably not five o'clock in the morning, because uh, they won't be awake. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, that, it's that kind of stuff as well, I think probably comes into play. It's also a really good onboarding tool for us, I forgot to mention, just as you know, people, there's like anticipation of getting something new. So we do have a cool like onboarding for customers, like, Make sure your fridge is stocked. Make sure, you know, and like recipes to go with it. So I think onboarding, it's, it's pretty fun. Do you know, we talk a lot in our agency about onboarding. And if we had more time today, I would unpack this more. But even using the phrase onboarding customers, it, I think it's fantastic. I've never heard anyone use that word in relation, but I think it's such an important point because onboarding means you're not thinking about how much cash can we get in that first order. You're building a relationship here. This is the start of a friendship, a journey with the brand. And again, I just, we haven't got time today, unfortunately, but just the whole thing that comes with that word, I think is fantastic. Onboarding, making sure they're looked after, making sure you have the right communication, set expectations, all that kind of stuff. I think it's really, really key. So maybe we'll do an episode on that in the future. I think that could be quite interesting. But finally, last thing I want to touch on very quickly was partly to say congratulations. You were obviously shortlisted in the Amazing Women in E-Commerce honorees. So yeah, massive congratulations on that. I think that was fantastic. Thank you. How much does that play then into, you mentioned earlier about PR and getting your, your message out there. Is this, I mean, does that not, do we have to talk about that specifically, but how, does, how did that PR piece play out and how do things like this fit in? Like, 
how much have you guys kind of gone after awards and things or has it been more a case of no let's just get out to the community and, and share some good news or share some good ideas yeah yapo is honestly a case of an amazing co-founder nominating me so shout out to alex i did not know i was like who <laughs> nice. nominated me for this and it was alex it's the best way for it to be <laughs> it, really. was, it was a genuine exciting award for that but yeah i mean i think for us pr again like we find weirdly to us that people are interested in that founding story alex is you know from the uk but canadian australian i'm from new york but i've lived in the uk like he's like six five and i'm five four he's white i'm black like there's so much to unpack with like our founder relationship and like we're just like odd to look at because he's so tall and i'm so short um so it's just like having some fun with that human storytelling and a lot you know i think a lot of what came out of that commerce award i think and hopefully yapo's intention is that founders get to know other founders kind of in the same phase or like not even just founders they were like amazing directors of e-commerce or like people doing amazing things and just having a place to learn from and names that you yeah, might yeah. not have known is super helpful so I think, it, yes, it was PR, but it was also like, you know, this is a community that has helped us grow our business, right? Like Yapo has been on our site since day one, same thing with Shopify. So it's cool to meet other people using technology, but then to know, you know, there's still a human approach to technology. Maybe I say onboarding, other people are using it for some other, I don't know, fancy term. So I think it's just <laughs> cool to learn to learn from different people. Nice. I imagine onboarding is probably from your agency days, uh, given that I'm in the agency <laughs> yeah, world. Probably. We, I'm like, we, I don't know where that came from, but. Yeah, I mean, on a weekly basis, we're sort of saying, right, how are we onboarding this new client? Or one of our clients got a new person, how are we onboarding them? Uh, we've got a new staff member, how are they onboarding? Just make sure everybody's on board and understands what's happening. Uh, I think it's really key. But uh, cool. Well, no, look, really appreciate your time today. It's been great to have you with us, Dee. Just before we say goodbye, what's the website URL? How can people reach out to you guys, engage with the business? Yeah, it's Avec Drinks, A-V-E-C drinks.com. And that's our handle on social channels as well. And if you want to send an email you say cheers at evectdrinks.com and we always say we started a drinks business to talk to people so talk to us awesome awesome well thank you so much for joining the show it's been an absolute pleasure to have you with us today thank you i'm excited cool cool and yeah for everybody else listening i've got one final announcement just for all our engaged listeners if you haven't already go and sign up for our newsletter on winningwithshopify.com there's a very specific reason why i'm flagging it this week because i don't push our own stuff very often we're running a free webinar in january so we're in the middle of this big slump peaks finished Christmas is gone, the turkey's been eaten, um, and everyone's moving on with their lives with all these wanted and unwanted presents. Come join us for a free webinar. I haven't got all the dates to hand right now, but if you join our email subscriber list, it will be released with that alongside this podcast and all the other podcasts we post over the next few weeks. So make sure you check that out. Thanks for listening today. Back again next week with episode three of this series, and we will see you all again then. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter for exclusive offers at winningwithshopify.com. And don't forget to check out our Facebook group by searching for Winning with Shopify on Facebook. Over and out.